What's up, everyone? I'm Jess Grace Garcia. I'm a music producer, worship pastor, filmmaker, all the other things. Who are I'm you? Jack Pace, Jack Queen of the Logopedian. Slapner Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everyone? We are in Minisode 17. And honestly, I think Jack told me what we were going to be talking about, but I don't remember. So we have a listener question. Yes. Oh. Great. I honestly, I really enjoy listener questions. I honestly really enjoy our minisodes. I've got to be, I love talking to you about deep talk topics, but minisodes are like awesome because we get to engage with our audience. Yeah. I love it. So what's this question about? So we have a, a question from one of our trans listeners and he wants to know what we think about a trans person who was baptized before they transitioned and now want to get rebaptized after transition. Oh, this is interesting. I know, right? Because I've never thought about this and I identify as I'm not trans binary, but as trans non-binary. And I definitely believe that a lot about what I believe in is different. So <laughs> now you've got me going through an existential crisis. Of <laughs> You're welcome. Sorts. <laughs> The existential crisis is a free gift with purchase. <laughs> mm. When you first heard this question, what did it do for you? Because for me, it's right now making me go, oh my gosh, do I want to get baptized again? My first response was really to like, like resonate with the question. Um, because a lot of the most like important kind of milestones for my faith happened in church contexts that I now like know to have been abusive, either like low-key abusive in this sort of like anti-LGBTQ evangelical vaguely Baptist churches that I grew up in, or like high-key abusive, like the Anglican church in North America churches that tried to do conversion therapy on me. Right. Like I had a, a really profound experience of feeling called to the ministry. Like not only while I was going to one of these abusive Anglican churches, but while I was like physically at the church and it's, it's hard to have that like really positive memory have this, you know, candy coating of abuse on it, which is probably one of the weirder metaphors that I've tried to use. Yeah. So I, I felt that like if I could re experience like, like my own baptism you know, other significant events in my faith life, if I could experience them in this sort of loving, welcoming faith community I have now, like there's, there's a lot that I find attractive about that. How old were you when you got baptized? I was 15. Uh, the 
church that my parents took me to growing up like didn't really emphasize baptism. Oh, interesting. Like, they had a sort of weird tack that they took. Like they didn't believe baptism was necessary for salvation. And they only believed that what was necessary for salvation, like, was important. <laughs> that is very interesting. So right? they just believed that it was like a... Like sort of an optional an, kind of add-on. Yeah, like, like, hey, if this makes you feel closer to Jesus, let's do it. Yeah, something like that. That's interesting because I feel like we definitely growing up took baptism a little bit more seriously, but didn't think it was essential for salvation. Mm-hmm. Like all that was essential for salvation was believing in the gospel and praying the prayer. Doing like those sinner's were the, prayer. The sinner's prayer. But baptism was really just like, a, this is the next step to proving <laughs> you believe in this. And like showing your commitment to this belief. That was, that's what it was for, uh, the, for us growing up. I was actually, I think I was 11 um, and I was close to being 12. I just recently went through memory boxes that I found in the back of a closet that I um, had to sort through. And I only got through one of the boxes <laughs> because there were some more, there were many more pictures than I expected. And mm-hmm. a set of those pictures were my baptism pictures. And for me, it's still a great memory because I was uh, baptized by one of the pastors that I really loved and respected. And we were in a pool, like on a really sunny, beautiful summer day in California with the people that I grew up with that didn't get the chance to really traumatize me yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh So, until I was like just a couple years later, old enough to really recognize my queerness fully and like really full feel the shame of that. (laughs) Um, And then deal with the trauma around that. So I kind of have a lot of like lofty memories of this community, mostly only because they didn't get a chance to fuck up (laughs) Uh my perspective. So I still have great, ideas around that my faith has transitioned so much mm-hmm. like you and I have talked about this many times that like in a lot of ways what I believe in is nothing like what evangelicals believe in right and we both call ourselves the same thing to some regard like I call myself a Christian a queer Christian but my Christianity is very different than their Christianity and yeah. so the idea of reconstructing baptism, which I don't think I've done, is kind of a cool concept. Like, what what would baptism represent for you now? If you were to get baptized now, how would it be presented to you, and how would you frame it differently than you did when you were 15? Um... <clears throat> And and per the listener's question, as a trans individual, add in that element. Oh, yeah. So part of my sort of spiritual journey has been really immersing myself in the thought and practices of early Christian communities. And I've 
adopted a lot of those ways of thinking and one of the ways that they thought about baptism in churches some churches continue to think of it this day as like uh, a sacrament like a, a mystery a uh like a kind of visible tangible kind of ritual you go through done in the physical world that represents and is the vehicle for like spiritual realities and so like to view baptism as a, a sacrament for me means like this is an opportunity uh not something um necessary for a salvation but it's an opportunity for us to experience god's loving grace towards us um it's in some ways a special uh instance of that kind of opportunity but we have uh opportunities every day to experience god's loving grace in one thing or another and i would consider baptism to be like one of the more like significant opportunities that we have in our lives yeah i love <laughs> i love how different we think about things because of how you've um subscribed to more mainline tradition thought now versus versus me i mean mm -hmm. like there are things that i appreciate for sure that i've really enjoyed and and uh taken on but i still don't speak that language so for me um i would say it would represent the new life that i'm living now like mm -hmm. like it would be a representation of honestly washing off what was left over from evangelicalism like this idea of like going going under and washing off the old and being brought back up into the new of like who i am as a trans gender queer non-binary person who i am as a progressive christian who i am as a loving myself <laughs> for who i am person mm -hmm. um and just like a representation of all the work I've done, all the things that I've already been in work on myself in over the years, but like a physical representation of off with the old, like washing new and into, into this new space of um, truly being like loving myself and feeling the all-encompassing love of God mm -hmm. and a representation of like what I really believe in when it comes to the gospel now. I think that that's what that would mean for me if mm -hmm. I were to get baptized again. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's because of the way that baptism was framed for me growing up. Like it was, it was framed as this like, you were once this thing um, and you, you have taken Jesus as your savior and you are now this new 
thing. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's, it is a, it is like an example of transitioning, which to me makes perfect sense <laughs> uh-huh. as a, a trans person. Yeah. I was thinking of the passage, if it was in, in Christ, they're a new creation and how often so like, yes. you know, they'd have that superimposed over like a, a cocoon with a butterfly emerging or something. It's like, this is all very trans. <laughs> and I appreciate right? that. Yes. The beauty of that. I really appreciate that question from the listener because one of the things that I love about my faith right now is that instead of, I would say my faith in like as a, as a younger person that was not affirming of myself, it was represented in absorbing as much knowledge that had already been written and already been figured out um, and conceived of for me to like learn things that were already figured out by theologians. Mm -hmm. Like, And something that I'm loving about my faith right now is that it isn't about just absorbing other people's ideas and thoughts that they've already worked out. It's doing my own processing. It's doing my own growth Mm -hmm. and it's having my own moments with where the divine speaks something in, you know, uh, to me and I'm listening and I can hear and I can, and maybe the divine is speaking through the listener by saying like, Hey, what about this? And me going, what about that? Whoa, <laughs> that's cool. That's something I haven't done. And, and it might be something that would really feed my spirit mm-hmm. to do, you know? And yeah. I don't know when the right time would be. And I don't know who the right person would be to like ask to engage with. Maybe, you know, we could do something like a lavender mafia baptism or something um, and offer that or something as, as leaders. I don't know, but it's just Mm -hmm. a really cool idea. And that's the beauty of my faith contextually right now is that I can, there's, there's no glass ceiling. (laughs) There's no, there's no, there's nothing that's limiting my growth Mm -hmm. in the divine and in my faith. Mm-hmm. For my own part, I don't plan to seek to get rebaptized. Uh, part of that for me is, I think that, like when I was baptized, like God knew who I was, um, even though I wasn't. Like my my not my self knowledge is still evolving. Like I I feel like I know a lot more about myself than I, I ever have before. Um, like at the time I was baptized, I wasn't able to admit to myself that I'm bi. Like I wouldn't have had any inkling that I was that I'm trans. <clears throat> right. Um, I wasn't disabled yet and that's become a big part of my life and like we talked about in the last maxi sode like like what i believed uh to be involved in like my being christian it was very different like christianity was very important to me then it's 
in some ways even more important to me now, but those Christianities look so different. But I was thinking about, uh, like it's a, it's a passive job giving, but in one of the gospels, Jesus talks about like, um, your, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Like don't make a big deal of giving because like God knows what's going on. Like another one is like, you know, humans look at that word appearance, but God looks at the heart. Like God saw through all those conscious and subconscious facades that I had put up as a teenager and mm. like saw like the essence of me that I'm still getting to know. And it's, it's the Jonathan, it's the Jack that I really am who was baptized, who had the grace of that sacrament poured on me. It wasn't the, the Jonathan Jack that I falsely believed myself to be. I think that's that's part of why I wouldn't seek to get rebaptized. Uh, another part for me is that I think that like a a lot of things, the meaning is not fixed. Like I've even argued on this podcast that I don't believe the meaning of sex is fixed. Like I yes, think it can, right. it can and has differed from you know, time and place to different times and places. And even within like one culture, it means different things to different people. And right. there's some flexibility or even like co-creative power and authority that we have to give meaning to you know, Bali actions. But I think that in some things we have kind of less control over like the meaning of a thing. And I, I tend to think that baptism is, is one of those things that has more of a fixed meaning and is less like waiting for us to give meaning to it. Like I think of you know, baptism, Eucharist, like th these are things where like I receive what's going on even before I necessarily understand what's going on. Like I believe very differently about baptism now and uh, Eucharist still boggles my mind, like how a bit of wine and bread could make us more like God. But <laughs> I feel like it's, it's like a reality that's, waiting for us to sort of come into a full understanding of it. It's not like uh, an action that is perhaps mostly devoid of meaning itself is waiting for us to give it meaning. That's interesting. I personally feel like baptism or traditions that have been used um by the church to represent our faith 
and to put our faith into action aren't necessary. Like we were talking about at the top, like it's not something that is going to make or break our salvation. Sure. Um, but I think that it can be defined and it's, it's obviously been defined differently according to even different denominations. Like the way that it's being way that it's practiced in some denominations is to mm-hmm. baptize babies because it's necessary. It has to happen. Um, if, if they aren't baptized as we saw uh, recently in, in, in the, um, in religious uh, political um, moves uh, a couple months ago, there was uh, what was it? Uh, a priest that realized that they were using the wrong terminology during baptism. Is that correct? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it messed everything up because it was like, Oh no. Well, baptism's supposed to come before all of these things. And does that make all of those things um, null and void? Because mm-hmm. it was not done correctly. And obviously that's taking baptism too seriously. That's saying <laughs> that our actions are are more powerful than, than, than God. Um, and I mm-hmm. feel like that's ridiculous. Um, yeah. and so uh, I apologize if you believe differently, but that's how I feel. I feel it's ridiculous. And so for me, if I choose to redefine, um, what baptism represents for me and, um, like you're saying, like, you feel it good about it. Like I still feel good about it too, but I think like if for some reason an opportunity presented itself, where a bunch of queers were baptizing each other, uh, <laughs> a bunch of queer and trans folk were baptizing each other, you know, out in Joshua Tree or something. I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. Like, I feel like <laughs> that sounds like a cool way to queer my baptism. Like, what's something that I haven't queered? What's something that I haven't taken the opportunity to say, like, hey, let's, let's re, you know, let's reexamine this. And, um, I think it could be fun, but I don't really see it like too seriously. Like, it's not like, Oh, if Mm. I don't do this in my new faith, (laughs) am I missing an opportunity at something, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And though, you know, I'm trying to become, uh, ordained as a, a priest in the Episcopal tradition, like if, if somebody came to me for counsel, like I probably would tell them kind of what I've said on this podcast and, and sort of mildly suggest that uh, they not get rebaptized. But I, in the same breath, I would emphasize that it's not like important either way. Like if you get rebaptized, then it's not like you're fucked. It's not like, oh, well, that undoes the first one. And so now you're like not baptized or something. Or like, oh, because, you know, you reconceptualize baptism, like God's angry with you now. Like, I think it's ridiculous. Like, I, even if I don't think that baptism is something that should be done more than once, because, you know, part of the symbolism is to be united with Christ and their death and resurrection and things which were like one-time events like i i still think that a a rebaptism of a trans person could be like a significant event not just psychologically but spiritually like i yeah. fully believe that that could be uh, a means of grace for them like yeah 
would I think of it as a baptism? No, but I would see it as something like beautiful and something that, you know, God's present with them in. And I, I love bringing our transness, bringing our queerness into like the active practice of our face. Like one of the things I love about the Episcopal tradition is like, we have a, a liturgy, like a, we have a, a sort of order of service for trans people to rename themselves. And I love that, like the Episcopal church has like thought and prayed hard about like, how can we like make space for trans people to bring their transness into mm. the church? Yeah, that's beautiful. And like, uh, confirmation too like i'm i'm really excited like i'm gonna get confirmed into the episcopal church later this month um and as i understand it confirmation isn't something you can take back so they'll be stuck with me Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and like part of what we like think about confirmation is it's like a a reaffirmation of your baptismal vows like the uh, Episcopal tradition, like we do baptize infants. Uh, we also baptize uh, people who come uh, to faith later in life as adults um, or people who, you know, have been Christians like their whole lives, but just didn't get around to it because they're raised in weird, vaguely Baptist evangelical churches. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we view it as like a reconfirmation of kind of the promises that were spoken over us in baptism or that we like committed to our ourselves to in our own baptism. And I'm going to think harder about how like it is like meaningful to me that I get to be confirmed with so much more knowledge of the person God made me to be like more gratitude for the person that God has made me to be than I experienced in my own baptism. Yeah. And I can see someone Mm -hmm. taking that exact same thought into a rebaptism. Like I think some of us that identify as trans say, um, you know, I'm, I'm not that person anymore. Like I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. not who I was. And, and so in some of the ways that we act, that is by not wanting to see, like for those that are transbinary, some people don't want anyone to see their previous photos. Mm-hmm. And um, I follow a lot of um, I follow a lot of trans dudes, um, very doobie doo moments, um, and I also relate to them <laughs> a lot. Uh, but half of them do not like to. Well, I would say maybe a third of them have no desire for you to see their previous photos mm-hmm. of who they were. Um, because they believe that they started fresh differently, like they were born again mm-hmm. kind of ideas. And, and I respect that. Um, and I've thought a lot about it. If I was, um, trans binary, I think that I would be more like the, the, the majority, which is that they, they look back on, um, who they were and they say like, and, 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 uh, they love that person. They mm-hmm. believe they were, you know, they're just a continually growing, continually, uh, continually, um, changing human. Mm-hmm. 
And that one of those ways is that they they um, more clearly represented the the gender that they are. So I feel like that same, depending on who you're dealing with and who's in the way that they're thinking about themselves and the way that they're thinking about their faith or their spirituality or... Um, I could see them coming into a baptism and saying like, no, I'm a different person now. I, mm-hmm. I want to be baptized again. Now they're thinking harder lines around their, around those thoughts. Whereas someone else might not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's kind of like uh, another example in, in trans world would be like those folks that an example would be like me. I consider myself, um, genderqueer and non-binary, but I don't have a desire, at least right now, to get top surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not feeling dysphoric about my curves. Um, but there are a lot of folks who um, were assigned female at birth that are my friends that um, are trans non-binary and do feel the need to get top surgery, to feel more true in their, um, in their body mm-hmm. and, or, um, wear clothes that don't emphasize their curves. And I feel like that does not mean that one of us is more non-binary than the other. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just a difference in how we are interpreting our gender and the way that we're acting it out. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like a similar concept could be applied to um, the way that we're thinking around some of these practices, like, like baptism Mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, And maybe that's stretching it a little bit, but that's kind of where my head goes. Yeah. I thought along these lines as well. Like again, our last Maxi, so like we both talked about feeling like we're very different people from uh who we were like you know before we came out before we embrace our queerness uh before we kind of deconstructed and reconstructed our our faiths and like i feel that very strongly when i think back on you know who i was like when i recall some memories from before i came out it often feels like like, how do I have these memories? Like, that was a different person. And mm. it, I feel that, like, strongly. But I think that there's, I mean, there's obviously a sense in which I'm I'm that same person still. Like, you know, our bodies kind of re- are replacing ourselves all the time. But there's still a sort of material continuity with who I was before this sort of psychological continuity. Like I'm the person who has all these memories. And I think, I think for me, the way forward is like finding a way to integrate like that person with the person that I am now. Like I think you're hitting the nail on the head here. God was at work in that person's life to to bring them to the point where I am now and to get me to literally God only knows where in the future. Yeah. But I like I try to be gentle with myself about like 
feeling that sort of dissociation with who I was before. And I, I would want to be just as gentle with our, our trans listener and any other trans person who is thinking about how to kind of relate to their life pre-transition and not like dictate to them like, oh, you should view it in this kind of way. You should view it yes. with the stronger, weak continuity because we're all still trying to figure out these things. Well, I think, I think you're, you're touching on something that's really important, which is for some of us, certain actions are healthy. Whereas for someone else, that same action might be an unhealthy action mm -hmm. and integration. Like for you right now, finding ways to integrate those aspects of who you once were and, rem and remembering like how that fits into who you are now that feels healthy. Like what you're talking about feels like a healthy move for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited for you with that. Whereas for some people, maybe a good clean cut <laughs> is a healthier move um, for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm, I love touching on this because I, it reminds us that not one thing is right for everyone. And it's so easy to be tempted <laughs> to believe that there is one, there is one way, one path to healing and to bettering ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this is a great, I'm, I'm really surprised that we landed here and talking about baptism, but you know, even in the way that we both individually think about baptism, it's so different. So vastly different mm -hmm. that it represents different things for us and um, how we believe about it, you know? Um, and I'm, I don't know. I'm excited to be, I know that we're in a mini sode and we got to cut it off, cut it short here <laughs> soon, but I am excited. Um, I get excited about how to move forward healthfully for you might be different than even your best friend. Like mm -hmm. you can't just hand off like, Oh, this formula worked for me. Here you go. It's the only way. <laughs> like even right now I'm, I just started being pescatarian again. Uh, well, I guess being pescatarian period. Um, I've been vegetarian for three and a half years and I just started reintroducing fish a week ago and it's a big move and it, it is a healthy move for me now. Would it have been healthy move for Jess three and a half years ago? No, I needed to be vegetarian. That's what I needed, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that's what everyone needs and everyone's body is different. And I've been really excited about that for myself. And even within my own life, <laughs> at one time it was a healthy move. It became an unhealthy move. And so then I had to change things. Mm -hmm. And so even in talking, like when you said in referencing to someone who might come to you and when you, when you do um, end up becoming a priest, someone might come to you and say like, I would like to do this thing it's good to remind them like, just so you know, you don't have to, this isn't a requirement, mm -hmm. but if this is something you still want to do, then I support you. But like reminding people that they don't have to do what everyone else is doing. And I think that that's really good. Yeah. I'm still, I'm, I don't think I'm on the same page as you. <laughs> like really there. 
yeah i mean there there are things that you know are are different for everybody and then there are some things that aren't like that like i made a joke last episode about not believing that australia exists but like australia either exists or it doesn't it probably does and like it exists whether people believe it or disbelieve in it and so the question is like what well, is is baptism that sort of thing or is it like pescatarianism or vegetarianism and i'm inclined to think it's more like australia like i don't know everything that's going on in baptism but i think you know that all the different theories about baptism in christian history like i think that some are better and some are worse some are closer to the truth some are farther away from the truth like i don't have all the truth and I could even be wrong about the sort of thing the baptism is. Like maybe baptism is more like pescatarianism, vegetarianism. And so I would I would like try to minister out of that uncertainty too. Like if somebody if a trans person like really sees a uh, strong discontinuity with um I mean, I don't even know if to say like uh who they were pre-transition would adequately capture that like um because it feels like too continuous of language but however they want to phrase that like if they if they like strongly have strong convictions about like that discontinuity um i could see like coming to and like commend rebaptism to them as a way of bringing that conviction about themselves into uh their religious life i love it when we disagree me too <laughs> it's kind of fun i'm not gonna lie yeah i'm good with with us just uh, just agreeing to disagree on this one because yeah same i think like for me it's just another baptism is just another spiritual practice and is definitely not is definitely more um it's definitely not australia um because it's a part of so many different cultures and defined so differently and even within christian faith it's defined differently among different traditions and i agree with you that some are better definitions than others um but i think that alone tells you that it's not australia but i love it when we disagree so i'm fine with that <laughs> disagreement doesn't entail relativity <laughs> people believe in the flat earth the earth has a shape we know it's not flat even though mm -hmm. people disagree about it mm -hmm. for sure but this is definitely not a flat earth conversation like this is more <laughs> i feel like <laughs> that's so funny that you do think it's like a flat earth conversation basically you believe that i'm the flat earther in this one um or you believe yourself <laughs> is the flat earther. You, you said it not me um no i i don't think that anybody is the flat earther in this conversation because like i i believe that 
it might be one of those things that's uh black or white but i don't believe the uh the nature of baptism is something that any of us can fully understand like for me that's part of what what it means for a thing to be a sacrament is like it's a sort of divine reality in interjecting itself into human material reality and that like none of us is going to be able to wrap our heads around it totally interesting yeah and i think honestly i think this comes back to the way that you're like how different we are in the way that we conceptualize our spirituality Mm -hmm. and our practices of spirituality because i have a broader concept around my faith and my traditions and and other people's traditions i mean literally i'm married to a pagan witch and i have a a, (laughs) and our partner is a christian witch Mm -hmm. uh, who also identifies as pagan so like the fact that i can like fully embrace their thinking and believe it to be true for them individually um and also take part in some of their traditions and practices and can see them as holy um (laughs) tells you like it's very different than i think the way that you would engage with with those things yeah for sure you know and so and we have yet to have a witch conversation so i think we're uh, we definitely need to to do that because i'm excited to hear how much your your mind is like no this does not work (laughs) i love you but it doesn't work for me like cool that's fine it doesn't have to work for you but i'm excited to have those conversations because i feel like it's it's going to be really if anything it's going to be entertaining as fuck but um yeah but yeah and i think this is like a real i did not expect a baptism conversation to land us here i will tell you that <laughs> um but awesome it's coming <laughs> did you yeah. wow that's so interesting and it's funny to me because you grew up without without it being an important aspect mm-hmm. and yet for me it was definitely an important aspect so that's just even funnier to me yeah um but anyway well Thank you, listener, for bringing us this um, really challenging conversation. Uh, I did not expect us to go over 30 minutes. I honestly thought this might be a shorter episode. Um, (laughs) So thanks for sticking it out with us. Honestly, share with us, what does baptism mean to you? Like, how would you, um, where would you land in this conversation? Are you somewhere in the middle of me and Jack or, or are you hard, hard left, hard right? We'd love to, we'd love to hear your um your thoughts so please um if you are interested in engaging in conversation with us or supporting us in any way shape or form feel free to go to our website at lavmafia.com we're pretty proud of it it's a pretty great website there's lots to learn about us individually and there are ways to support us if you go to the top right of the website there is a button that says tip a bitch and it will take you straight to our patreon um at patreon.com slash lavmafia where you can actually support us um tangibly um with um with the monies with the monies um (laughs) (laughs) feel free to give us um any amount that you're able to sacrifice once a month, um, it really does help us to keep um, this, what is truly a ministry in a lot of ways, um, and uh, this podcast going. Yeah. And if you want to connect with us on social media, we're on Instagram and Twitter at Love Mafia, L-A-V-M-A-F-I-A. 
on Facebook. There's a Lavender Mafia podcast community group. And we're also active on Discord. So you can send us messages to any of those places telling us what your thoughts are. All right, gorgeous babes, be fierce, keep the faith. And don't fuck it up. Our amazing music is written and produced by Evan Coles of Springwood Productions. Speaking of Springwood, I just want to thank them for recording, mixing, and producing our audio. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be happening. Springwood is made up of passionate creatives who are really easy to work with and professional, and they really know their stuff. So if you need anything like video or audio production, or they can really do anything to help your music or business. Like they got me Taco Bell one time, for God's sake. So go check them out at springwoodproductions.com. 